you are age 12 and under, you can head back to Camp Pointway. I, I heard a rumor that there's a Moses sighting going to be back there today, so they're going to be studying Moses, and I asked one of the teachers, I said, so where are you going to begin, because Moses' birth all the way to the end is a lot to study, so they're going to do a part of it today, and some of them are going to be doing some acting out as well. Hopefully not the kids, and it'll be the adults that'll be acting out, but we'll see. But I'm bump, yes, thank you. I heard my wife, so thanks, Tony. Uh, so we continue on in our journey of 2 Corinthians, and we've gotten all the way to chapter 8 this morning as we're going to begin that chapter. And uh, if you've been with us, we've been kind of working our way through steadily, and, and, and uh, as we see Paul talking to this church, and, uh, and 2 Corinthians, right, is the second letter written to the church in Corinth, right? No, no, we've determined that most likely it's either the third or fourth letter, and there was a visit in between, and we've talked several times about the fact that when we look at the scriptures, Quite often we forget that, you know, we're looking back at it and it seems like things are happening bang, 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 but yet there's years in between. And again, if you pull that apart, it makes sense. And the church in Corinth, in Corinthians chapter 1, and the letter that he writes in chapter 2, or letter 2, is a big difference. The church has grown, the church has matured, it's changed. They have some of the same problems because at the root of everything, the same problems that we have today, we are humans, and uh, we have a lot of the similar struggles that they did back then in the early church, right? And Corinth, we have said, is not an easy place to do ministry in, right? That's a port city. There's a lot of cultures coming together. There was a lot of idolatry in the land, and there was a lot of misconceptions and a lot of things that would pull people away. And Unfortunately, sometimes culture enters into a church and it disrupts the worship, it disrupts teaching, and that church was no different. They had problems with false teachers, and Paul is addressing that. We also learned that this letter has a little bit of a difference in it in the fact that the church was upset with Paul. If you remember early on, Paul kind of pleads back with them. He had promised him that he would stop in on his way to Macedonia, and he didn't. The Holy Spirit led him. He went to Macedonia. In fact, he went back through that land and did not stop in. And some of the people in Corinth were upset with him. They questioned his integrity. They questioned, hey, his authority as an apostle, right? They were disappointed in him. And so it caused some question. Yet Paul argues back, no, I was being led by the Spirit. I wanted to come back to you, but I couldn't. I was not allowed to. I needed to go on. And so Paul addresses that, and we talked a lot about reconciliation, right? That's, that, that $10 word, reconciliation, Paul wants to reconcile himself back to this church, and he wants the church to reconcile back, but they also had that problem within the church. We know the problem, right? They, in 1 Corinthians, they had expelled the immoral brother. They had kicked him out because of his sin, and Paul was very adamant about that, and yet he had repented and come back, and the church wasn't receiving him. And we talked about that relationship, right? That sometimes even when we say we forgive, the relationship takes a little bit more time to work through that reconciliation process. But we, we need to do that. We need to become back into right relationship, especially when there's been that repentance and forgiveness. We spent quite a bit of time on that. And last week we looked at chapter 7 and we talked a little bit about caring for others. 
And again, I'm just giving you some, some highlights. If you haven't been with us and you haven't been reading through, I would encourage you this week to go back and read through because I'm just giving you a couple of key points. But last week we talked about caring for others, right? Going beyond ourselves. And again, that's important because as we bring into today's message, Paul is going to address the idea of generosity and giving, not only to the church, but giving to other churches outside of the ministry, outside of the area. And so that is the backdrop. And as we look at, and the title of today's message is The Spirit of Generosity. The Spirit of Generosity. And I'm just going to let you know that I've still stolen that title from someone else. A DS back in New York, who early on in my ministry, used to always say that. He says, just have the spirit of generosity. You know, don't regulate your giving but have a spirit. Just give freely. And so that's the thought behind it. People always want to kind of, you know, quantify it. And those that have those accountant minds, I understand that, you know, just give me the dollar amount, right? But he would always say, go beyond that. Have the spirit of generosity. And so it fits well with this morning's passage. And so if you have your Bibles, if not, Ike will have it up there for us behind me, but chapter 8, verse 1 starts off, it says, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You can't help but miss, even in those first couple of verses, Paul is is, is um, boasting about this church, about their giving, right? He's, he's letting the church in Corinth know that, hey, this is church in Macedonia, and they're giving, and they're not giving out of their wealth, are they? What does it say? They're, they're, they're in trouble themselves. They're in the midst of a severe trial, yet through their poverty, they're giving generously, right? Above and beyond, and Paul's not shaming the church in Corinth, but he's letting them know that, hey, this is what else is going on. Many of you know me. I love competition, right? So when I read these verses, I say, hey, Paul is just stoking the fire a little bit here between the church in Corinth and the church in Macedonia a little bit. And you'll see it in the coming verses, but hey, a little competition's not bad, right? Like I said, you that know me, if you've been on the boat fishing with me or out on the golf course, you know that I am competitive. We keep score, right? PJ will test that. We, we play cards. We, we play for something. We, it's competition, whether it's bragging rights or a back rub or who does dishes. We compete, <laughs> right? We like that, right? It, it helps a little bit with that, that if you're motivated by that. But interesting, this church here, though, is giving out of their their poverty, right? They're, and some of the, the most giving people I know are some of the folks that don't have much. You know, and again, we could pigeonhole this or try to keep it very little. Like when we look at it, it was finances, but Paul's meaning here is probably a lot more than that. In fact, when we look at it, we're going to see hospitality. We're going to see time. We're going to see grace given here. So it's not just financial, but it's more than that. And so... That is the, the setting up of the next few verses between these two churches. And again, it's for a church who they don't even know is what they're giving towards. Verse 3 says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, 
and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in his service to the Lord's people. Again, these verses are rich, right? He, Paul is just oozing out of his praise on this church, right? They're, they're just giving beyond what they even have, they're beyond their ability. It's the idea of almost wringing out, right? That last drop, they're, they're just wringing it out of themselves, right? They're, just, they're happy to give. And that's where I come up with that, that phrase, which I've taken from another dear man, the spirit of generosity, right? It just it goes beyond any number, it's like if he said give 10, they would give 20 or 30 or as much as they could possibly give and go beyond that. And so he says it exceeded his expectations, right? How oftentimes do we limit God, right? We, we say, well, if we could just have this amount or just this many people and God shows up and it exceeds that amount, right? It goes beyond it. Well, God uses people in the same way, and quite often that's uh, the case, right? When, when we put out a call for something, God supplies sometimes even beyond that. But I also want to make clear here, as I've done some studying over the last couple of weeks about this, uh, generosity is not a spiritual gift. Generosity is not a spiritual gift. Right? It's not one of those gifts, not only is it not listed, but it's not even it's something that's given. It's actually just part of who Christians should be. It should be part of our fabric, should be part of our heart, should be part of what we do as believers in Christ. And so I want to make that clear this morning. It's not something that... Now, some people give more freely than others, yes. Some people seem to have a, a greater ease at it, but again, it's not a supernatural spiritual gift. It is part of the believer that we should be doing. And so that changes things a little bit here in our thinking and in the way that we look at giving in general. He said here, Paul says, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also unto us. That's where I get that thought of. It's not just financial, but sometimes it's even of hospitality, right? They showed that love on Paul and then Titus who came later. Right? Showing hospitality or welcoming someone or to uh, be a friend with them, to be an encouragement, those are all part of those gifts. Right? And we should be doing that exceedingly. Right? Go beyond the normal, reaching out. That's what Paul is talking about here. And Remember, he had complimented the church in Corinth for doing the same thing with Titus. Right? When Titus had arrived, that was one of his praises, is the church in Corinth did that, even though they hadn't met him before. Paul sent them, and Titus was received well there. Verse 6, he says, So we urge Titus, I want to make mention because Titus is a, a key theme here and a connector to this. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So he kind of brings it back around to the, the point of him writing this to them, right, is to, to spur them on to, to, to kindle that flame for this collection. 
Now, I've left out what they were collecting for because it's not really the most important part of the thing, but it is important for us to note that they are collecting these finances, not only from the church in Corinth, but also in Macedonia and Ephesus and other places, to give back to a church in Jerusalem, which is pretty far away, distance-wise. And most likely, they don't know the people that are there at this point. They've never met them. They may never meet them, but they're giving to a church that they don't even really know. Again, they don't have the communications that we have today. We don't, they don't get to see a video of the church in Jerusalem to see what was going on there, or you get to meet a missionary even. It's pretty rare that you would even get somebody. You have Paul's report, but he hadn't been to Jerusalem in quite some time. But he knows that that area is under severe famine. He knows that they are struggling as believers. Again, to be a believer, especially in Jerusalem, as a Jew, when you switched over to Christianity, you lost your social connection. You lost your family quite often. And more than often than not, you would lose your income. So when things got tough, it really got tough on these folks. And so Paul is going to make that return trip, and he's collecting from these other churches who are also struggling in and of themselves to bring back to Jerusalem. So that's where the gift is going to end up. Also, I love what he says here, though. He, he kind of prods a little bit, right? He, he, as a good pastor, he gives a little nudge here. He says, hey, I've already kindled this into you, right? I've already, I already started this work. I've already let you know the need. And he says, hey, you've done well in these other areas. Don't forget about generosity. Don't forget about giving. Even here at Pointway, right, we, we talk about a lot of things as part of our worship, coming together, God's word, the music, the fellowship, but also part of that worship is giving. And again, it's not something to be tacked on the end. It's all part of the collective group together. And so I, I like that word kindling. And I mean, most pastors would say nudge or preach on tithing or something, right? That, that money sermon uh, I was telling someone just this morning, it's a great thing about going through the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter. You don't have to go out of your way. It comes up in and of itself. It's there. But don't miss the last part of this paragraph or this sentence as well. It says, see also that you excel in the grace of giving, right? The, the grace that comes with that, right? That's part of that worship, part of that, that being that, that we get a certain amount of grace from it as well. We, we receive something even though we're not looking for it that, uh, as part of our worship and part of our commandment here uh, or our responsibility as believers. Verse 8, Paul addresses them again. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the, earnest, the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through he, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, through, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's a, that's a quick lesson here. And again, Paul is addressing this, I'm not commanding you, because he wants their heart in it, right? He wants them to do it out of the overflow, the abundance. But yet he's reminding them also that of Christ, right? Christ didn't come as the rich king, the, the ruler, the, the one that just took everything, right, for himself, right? He gave himself up for us. And so we have that contrast that he was rich, became poor for our sake. 
We have that example. I also like to think of this is in giving and that spirit of generosity, it's going to cost you something. You may have to give up something. Whether it's your time or finances, in order to do that, you're, you're going to have to sacrifice a little bit. Again, Paul's addressing that not only out of a a command or that I have to, but out of because I I want to, right? Again, he's confident in this church that they're going to come through. He says, I know your love and I know your grace. I know you will. And again, it's just a a, a test that I'm putting before you, but Paul's pretty sure they're going to pass. And so he's putting it out there to them. Verse 10. Again, the the pastoral comes out in this very strongly here to this church that he loves and knows well. He says, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Right? one of those things that pastors always, it kind of trips my mind as well, right? How many times do you, you start a project or something gets going and you kind of, it gets drawn out over a period of time and you kind of give up, right? We have a great example this morning, right? Bill, we, Reverend Bill and I, we talked a long time ago about the cross and, and it's taken a lot of process to get to the point of the today actually finally getting it in the ground. And at many times until spring, maybe we'll wait to a better political climate or a better time, but no, perseverance and hanging in there and waiting upon the Lord and, and seeing a project completed is important. And again, Paul here, even in his, his stern words about completion, he's also complimenting them, really. He said, hey, you were the first ones to come up with the idea. You were the first one to, to, to start giving. You started the ball rolling, and now I just want to encourage you to complete it, continue we also do that with our missionaries, right? We, we, if we commit to giving to them, we, we keep that going. We don't just do it one week and then we end it and go on to the next missionary. No, we, we make a commitment over time. And so we be faithful in that and we continue to give to them until either God changes that or they come off the field or something else, right? Or some other decision. But that keeping that completion is, is in mind here. And so he says to them, now finish the work that you eager was to do that matched your completion, right? To, to continue it. Verse 12, it says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Kind of a key verse to this whole section, right? It says, For the willingness is there, right? You, you want to give, and I know that you want to give. The willingness is there. But you may come up with that argument that but I don't have it. And he says, no, you do have it. Just continue on. Give to according to what you feel is right. God will provide. Again, giving God the credit for our giving and our means. Verse 13. Again, there's always another side to giving, right? There's, we call it accountability or responsibility or good stewardship. Again, those are all part of it. And so Paul's going to address that part as well. Because again, the argument comes up, and like I said, things are no different in that day than they are today. But, you know, hey, I'm going to give, but 
where is the money going to go? Or where it's going to come from? How's it going to be administered? And so, like any good steward, there are some guidelines. There are some things that are in place to make sure the money gets to where it belongs. And those are all good questions. There's nothing wrong with that. And again, that's part of what Paul's going to address here in the next coming verses. Verse 13, he says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who too little much did not have much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Right? So what he's telling them is, hey, don't worry. If you give and at some point you become in need as well, they'll be there, right? He's, he's bonding these churches together, and that giving is going to help each other out. If you know of a need and you give, and that person ends up doing well, and you become in need, the thought is, hey, again, out of that spirit of generosity, you're going to give back. I often love it when people will come up to me and say, hey, Pastor Charlie, how can I serve? You know, the church has given me much. How can I help? That's why we provide those opportunities of of volunteering, right? We also give you opportunity to give as well. That's not, not in and of itself is, is one form of, but also giving of your time, right? Your strengths, your talents. And so we provide that as well. Again, Paul's talking about, hey, we're in this together. This part of Paul is that great connector, right? He's connecting these churches together. And again, even though he's moving around, he's still keeping them connected to each other and Say, hey, I hear you, I see you, and if you have a need, I'll take care of it. If not, help out somebody else. And right now, the greatest need is the church in Jerusalem, and so that's what the, the giving's all been working towards. Verse 16, we'll see a little bit more of that accountability here. It says, thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal... But he's coming to you with, a much, with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him a, the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer to, in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. So again, as you're reading this, you might, might miss it, but what it says here is we're sending, and even only Titus, but we're sending someone else that we trust, right? We're sending two men, and even more, for accountability's sake. They're not just giving one person a bunch of money and sending them on their way. I don't know if you've ever noticed even bank security now, right? When, when the Wells Fargo truck pulls up and the, the cash, there's always two men there, right? They're usually well-armed, and there's or two people, right? And one stands by the truck to guard what's already there, and one goes in and collects. But you don't just send one person. There's accountability when you have more than one person, right? Someone else looking over things. And so Paul lays that foundation right here. He says, we're not only sending Titus, but we're sending someone else that you know and that you trust to go as well. There was also the other present danger of the day was the traveling from place to place, the roads, there was a real likelihood that you could be robbed, right? And again, if you're a single person and you're walking along with lots of money on you, you would not have much of a defense. But if you send two people, right, 
that's a little bit harder to, to tackle, right? It's a little bit harder to rob. I mean, not that they still couldn't get robbed, but it would be more of a challenge. Right? There's safety in numbers. There's accountability, but there's also some safety. And so Paul is letting them know, hey, we don't take this lightly. We don't want to, to lose your money foolishly, so we're going to send these two brothers to, to come and gather and to pull it all together. Again, they're walking between these churches. They can't just transfer over a wire. They can't swipe like we do here or do something through the Internet, right? They, they've got to have currency, gold coin, most likely, that they're carrying. And so Paul is setting up that accountability here and letting them know this is how we're handling it. Verse 20, he says, We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. Kind of like what he calls it, right? It's a liberal gift. Right? He doesn't even know the amount. Paul doesn't have a number. There's not a, there's not a figure yet because not everyone's given yet. Not everything's come in, but he just knows it's going to be a great gift. And so he's already identified, it's going to be a great gift when we pull this all together. But he says, I want to make sure that you know how we're administrating this, right? We want to honor the Lord in this. Verse 21, it says, For we are taking pains to do what is right not only in the eyes of the Lord, but in the eyes of man. Again, good accountability not only takes into the fact that, again, yes, we answer to God, and that's first and foremost, but we also have to answer to the authorities put above us. And so here is no different. Paul is saying, hey, in, in the eyes of even man himself, we're trying to be responsible in how we handle this amount of money. And so what's going to put things in place. Right? He's got the two men coming together and the churches know what's going on ahead of time. The accountants in the congregation this morning are going, yes, accountability, good, right? Paying up, paying up and, and being good stewards, it's, it's all good things. But again, it's good for us as a church body to know that as well. And I can tell you that we do it here at Pointway as well. We take great means to make sure that when we even count the offerings, we have two people and different people put deposits in than the ones that keep the books. And so we put place guards in so that we can administer the money safely. And again, the same standard here is the same standard that we keep ourselves at Pointway. Right? We take some great pains. It's not always easiest, but it's the right thing to do before the Lord and before man. Verse 22. In addition... We are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the church, of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. Paul is calling out that, that card of hospitality again. I remember he, early on, he's, 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 he wasn't sure. He was hopeful they would receive Titus. And then he was, when he heard the report, he says, ah, good job. This church gets it. They know how to do hospitality. And so now that he's sending these men back, he wants to make sure that they, they don't forget that, right? That how they receive them is important. And Paul is putting his stamp as an apostle on them. They are representatives of the church. It would be the same thing today. If we had someone as a signer, we would give them the authority to sign paperwork or things over finances. 
right? We, we give that as part of that. We kind of goes back to that ambassador, right? If you remember back in chapter 6, we talked about being an ambassador for Christ. Paul is doing the same thing here. He says, hey, these are my ambassadors. They're bringing the money. They're collecting the offerings, and eventually I'm going to take this and go to Jerusalem. We know that to the story in Acts. And that brings us to the end of chapter 8 and the end of this morning's message. But I want to leave this with you, and it's kind of a check and a balance on yourselves and something you need to wrestle with on your own, but would you say that you have the spirit of generosity? Again, not talking just finances, but of time and gifts and energy. Would you say you have the gift, or not the gift, the spirit of generosity? Would someone else say that about you? Would they say the same thing about you? Again, giving comes in many forms. And so it's a reflective question, but it's also an encouragement. And again, I know that many of you do give. And I see it, and we have a great opportunity here in our community to give. As someone who's come from the outside, come to a a new community, there are a lot of opportunities to volunteer and to serve in this community. In fact, I'm amazed at how many opportunities there are. If I started listing, you know, whether it's Teen Challenge or LAPS or Breath of Life or you name it, there are so many ministries in the area, and guess what? They're all looking for the same thing. They're looking for volunteers. They're looking for financial help. And I know many of you serve in those areas. Does Camp Jim have all the help they need, Tony? Or? Well, that would be nice. That would be nice, yeah. Yes, yes, that's true. He needs to get out there a little more often, I'm sure. No. To the point, there's no ministry that doesn't need help. And so that gift of generosity, again, as a self-reflector, you have to determine where you're going to give. And so that would be the, the, the thought of the reflection for this morning and throughout the rest of this week and even beyond that, where should you be giving? And so... I just close with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word that spurs us on. Lord, I'm thankful that here, the folks here at Pointway are givers, Lord, and I just thank you for that. I thank you for your generosity. I thank you for uh, that you've already placed that within each of them. And Lord, just help us to be mindful of that. Help us to continue on in that. Lord, that you guide and direct our steps. Lord, I also thank you for those who uh, have that willingness and that heart and that desire to reach out to others. And Lord, just continue to do that work that you've already started in us. And may we carry on to completion until you come again. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.